0: Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess, it's about reclaiming your life and that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline, a licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee
1: Eight hundred four four two seven zero four three.
0: Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is... The Buck Sexton Show.
2: Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hunt. Thank you so much for being here with me on uh, Thursday, March 9th. Uh, Great to have you as always. And uh, of course, we are in our uh, countdown here for my final week of Blaze Radio Shows. It's been uh, an honor, a privilege, and a pleasure to have all this time with you up to this point. I would ask that you all join me at my next venture on Premier Radio Network's uh, nationally syndicated show buck sexton with america now as uh, you can subscribe on itunes uh, you can subscribe on well that's the best place to subscribe i think the easiest you can also go to the iheart radio app and listen live and uh, listen on stitcher and we're not on soundcloud but we're on stitcher so please please do i uh, really appreciate that and also keep an eye out for bucksexton.com We're going to be ramping up that site quite a bit in the uh, days and weeks ahead so uh subscribe give me your email there because i'm going to be building out the plan is right now at least fingers crossed to build out a newsletter that'll basically be buck brief in written form uh maybe it'll be every day bi-weekly we're not sure yet but that's all going to be coming out so big plans for the freedom hut everybody big plans big plans huge So I thought I'd spend some time today. I I know that uh, everyone else is going to be doing news of the day and whatever, but I thought I would spend some time with you today. It's talking about where I think conservatism is going, uh, what I think the future of conservatism is going to be, because you know we had that speech last week where Donald Trump had some parts of his agenda, of course, are conservative, and it is refreshing to have a return to. A president who is supportive, very obviously supportive, and and deeply, uh, truly supportive of law enforcement, of uh, the military, and has a real affection for law enforcement, including border patrol, immigrations and customs enforcement, I'm not excluding them from the oh thank you law enforcement category. Uh, but you know, looking at uh, what's going to be coming coming down the pike now, we're all quite aware, I think that the democrats are just going to be in absolute opposition mode to trump because they think that they can stop this presidency. Uh, it's not that they're, they're they're not so much at this point trying to prepare for a future presidency uh, for the next election and and yeah sure you'll you'll read the reports from o- about obama leading this This political insurgency. Valerie Jarrett's now living in the Obama House in D.C. Interesting. That's, that's yeah, okay. Um, But they'll talk a lot about this. And the reality, I think, is that they're not even expecting this presidency to get that far. Uh, Lost, of course, amidst a lot of the Trump is so evil, Trump is so terrible rhetoric, and we need to get rid of him and all the stuff the Democrats are saying is that with Mike Pence, uh, or rather with, with Trump gone, you get Mike Pence. And I don't think anybody really believes that, you know, there's not going to be any dossier on Mike Pence. There's not going to be any way that they can shame Mike Pence out of office. Um, but they are hoping to do a real reversal because there's panic in the Democrat Party right now. Because if Trump keeps doing what he's doing, which is appeal to Americans, uh, appeal to a majority of Americans on issues that are Republican, and then steal the issues that have mass appeal that democrats use what paid family leave infrastructure spending look i wouldn't even be surprised if trump maybe he doesn't go for a 15 dollar minimum wage but maybe he decides to make it 12 or you know who knows but he's playing the this the government will give you gifts to game and he's doing it pretty well and it makes you wonder if democrats if all they really have to offer is uh, transgender bathroom rights and global warming, climate change nonsense? Uh, Dodd Frank. You you look at what well, what gets Democrats really energized these days? Illegal immigrants. Oh, they love to stand up for illegal immigrants. They're they're done as a party. I mean, they realize now that messaging alone, I don't think, is going to do it for them. They have to destroy. The Republican Party. They have to actually eliminate the Republican Party entirely. And I don't, and I'm not I mean destroy, I just mean destroy this presidency and then force the Republicans into the political wilderness. But there are two looming possible disasters for the Republican Party right now. One is that the Democrats, um, that the Democrats, are able to do what they're trying to do, which is to just halt this presidency, stop this presidency dead in its tracks. Uh, I don't think that they'll be able to do that, meaning that Trump is forced from office and they are you know, pushing for, I, I don't I mean, I don't think they'll get rid of Pence, but then they'll also, of course, in the midterms, then they will push to oust Republicans and take back control. And you know, this is their dream. So there's the possibility the Democrats are able to mount a real counter-campaign, a counter that that lands real hits. Um, that's a worry, to be sure. There's another problem we have here, which is that Trumpism is not conservatism. Conservatism has been the primary political philosophy of the Republican Party for decades now. And, of course, Republicans have strayed from it, and Republicans... Have have I think a lot of elected office uh, Republicans have become political careerists, and I think a, a majority of them, a vast majority of them, are. And to that end, they've also embraced cronyism and insider beltway uh, nonsense, and that's very that's very disturbing in and of itself. That's problematic to be sure. But the real worry I have is you will recall how we got to the place where Nancy Pelosi was Speaker of the House and Obama was President and uh, Harry Reid was leader of the Senate Democrats. There was a financial correction, a financial crash based on the housing market, which still to this day is lied about by people who, who know better. Still to this day, there are those who pretend that the real problem with the financial House, with the financial collapse of two thousand and eight, you know the great the start of the Great Recession, as opposed to the Great Depression, uh, has to do with just Wall Street greed. Wall Street greed certainly a part of it, and Wall Street has been able to use its money and influence to get both parties, Republican and Democrat, to do what it wants. But if you stretch all the way back to the origins of the housing crisis, it had to do with very basic. Notions of fairness and meritocracy in America. There were there were cases made. I'm sure there were some, you know, old time real racists who didn't want to give mortgages to minorities. But then over time, it became well, you can't even use objective financial criteria because that's going to disproportionately negatively affect minorities. And they started loosening the mortgage. Uh, requirements, which were pretty straightforward and pretty effective for a long time. And over a period of a few decades, those mortgage requirements kept being more politicized, loosened, more politicized, loosened. And then eventually the Clinton administration was suing banks, would threaten to sue banks that did not give enough mortgages to minorities, even if they were using completely objective financial criteria for the denials, didn't matter. Uh, and it was those very bad loans that were then bundled. And, you know, you've probably seen the big short. You know, They were bundled into the, the toxic uh, CDOs and credit default swaps and all that stuff. And then we got the financial crisis. OK, that was what, for a time at least, allowed the Democrat to come roaring into power and have control of the House, the Senate and, of course, the White House with Obama. But I'm concerned that the populism of Trumpism is going to mean that we, as a nation, but also as a party, the Republican Party, is going to be blind to the looming disaster, to the iceberg on the horizon. And we are on a ship that, you know, there is no one else to come and get us if we go down. Um, And that is the debt and spending. Uh, Interest rates will go up at some point. I don't know when. If I did, I should be in the financial markets and you know, be betting on it heavily. I don't know when, but they will have to go up at some point. And one thing that also, as an aside here, that's never really talked about is the effect that these low interest rates have on the economy. And it is a lot of what's been done has exacerbated the difference, not so much between the wealthy and the poor. I mean, that's one way to look at it, but really between those who have assets and those who don't. Because if you own property or and if you own stocks the zero interest rate fed policy has been in inflating those values um, for a whole bunch of very complicated reasons but that is the end product that is the end reality that's how you get people now who are working and working and working they're not gonna buy they're not able to buy homes a lot of them still living at home with their parents and even though they tell us inflation is zero well everything is getting more expensive all the time so someone needs to explain that to me you know they tell me inflation is zero and i just bought milk yesterday and it was five dollars okay so I need I need someone to, and I'm I'm not talking like super fancy, organic, you know, farm to table. The cow has like a Ph.D. in social studies. No, no, I'm talking just about milk. So somehow there's a problem here. There's there's a real disconnect. There's an issue that must be addressed. But what I see happening here is that even if Trump is very successful, selling his policies, pushing his policies in the short term, there is a real chance uh, that Whether it's in the first four years, or perhaps if he wins re-election, which right now you know who knows, but perhaps uh, even if everything goes relatively well and the infrastructure spending goes well, and or infrastructure plan you know is bipartisan, all the stuff that he's talking about, border gets much more secure, immigration is in a totally different place as a discussion. If all that happens, but you have a real panic in the markets because we get to. 23 25 27 who knows how much but let's say it's 23 or 25 trillion dollars in debt at some point that has to have a cause and effect there has to be a consequence to that otherwise why not just why not just have the federal government if debt doesn't matter then the federal government should just take out a massive loan and give all Americans a hundred grand you just in a bank account every American citizen gets a hundred thousand dollars it sounds cool right but we all know, That'd be a big problem. There would be and I'm sure we could probably get some economists No, it's stimulus, the spending would be great. Uh, no, that 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 would be an issue. There would be there would be uh, big problems that would come from that. And I worry that the once again, the the this historical cycle and the presidential cycle are going to be a disaster for the Republicans. What I mean by that is the cycle that came that finally came crashing down under Bush was not Bush's fault. He didn't do enough to stop it, but it was decades in the making. The cycle that may come down under a Trump presidency, especially if he makes it to uh, you know, through two terms, would be uh, an existential threat to our economy and to our, our way of life in a financial sense. If all of a sudden people don't think that, the, that this is ever going to get paid back, and we can't pay our bills, and treasuries aren't a safe haven. You're going to have, I mean, you can read about the wargaming of this, but you know, the dollar ceases to become a reserve currency. You got huge problems that will come with this. And even though a reasonable a reasonable analysis of this, a reasonable person could point to this and say, well, hold on a second. I mean, this is not, the, Trump ran up two or three trillion of this debt. This isn't, a, as you know, it doesn't matter. It'll be the Republicans are profligate spenders and they're heartless and we are where we are on this because of donald trump's ineptitude because donald trump has done all these bad things because he's a mean guy you know whatever it may be that's the iceberg that i see looming in the distance that's what i really worry about here because uh, honestly there's going to be a day of reckoning here and trump is doing nothing to tackle the debt and this is what we realize It's not going to be popular to tackle the debt. It never will be. Nobody wants to hear, you know, I'm paying Medicare and Social Security taxes. Nobody wants to hear that they're not going to get what they think they've been promised by the government. And what's really difficult is a lot of people who have been paying into these entitlement programs have been led to believe, well, they paid for it. That's really not true. They're getting much more than they paid. So this is like saying, well, I have a savings account. I'm entitled to withdraw it. And you put in $100 and you want to take out $1,000. And you say, well, I paid it. You know, that's my money. Well, well, no, it's actually not just your money. It's your, The money's coming from other places too because you only paid in 100 and you're taking out. Now, in reality, I think it's probably the percentages are more like you know you put in 100 and you're taking out 150 or something, not 1,000. But still, the basic basic idea here is, is is true, which is that people take out more, especially in, in, in Medicare is where it really happens, uh, than they pay into it. And then, so what do you do about that? And you can't win elected office now if you run on trying to take away Medicare from people. So what do you do about that? Uh, that's going to be a big problem because, you know, what is it now? Almost 80% of our spending is entitlement spending. We're arguing over, oh, the defense budget and building a wall. I mean, $14 billion or $20 billion to build a wall. In the That's not, not a lot of money, but in the budgetary scheme of things, I mean that's a, a blip on the screen. It's a rounding error. When you look at the debt overall, I mean that's not going to do anything one way or the other. And we're not dealing with this, and nobody wants to talk about it. And you know Romney lost talking about it, and Paul Ryan is not going to get a, not going to get Congress to go along with him. They're all they all think they're going to lose their jobs, and for a lot of politicians, the notion of getting a real job after having been elevated into national office. Is a terrifying prospect. They have no interest in doing that. So, unless they can get a show on a cable network. So, and there's not that many hours on the cable networks for them to fill. So, this is where we are now. I I worry about this. um, And it doesn't keep me up at night worrying. I'm not trying to be a weirdo like a climate change freak who thinks that, you know, the ice caps are melting and we're all going to die. But I, I think that there would be how much could it shock any of us if all of a sudden interest rates rise and the markets and things start to react in a way that take on a life of their own. And we hit a very uh, negative and dangerous place in the economic cycle. And of course, it'll be blamed on the president and his party. And that may be so despite the the Democrats, of course, are trying all these tricks and shenanigans and, you know, they're, they're hoping so much to push through something that will um, destroy the Republican party. But, it might be the Republican Party helping to destroy itself right now with all the spending. And I know it's, you're not the fun guy at the party when you're talking about how they need to stop running up the debt. The fun guy is the one who's saying, let's do infrastructure spending. Let's, let's do more of this. Let's spend more money on this. Um, everyone likes that guy. Everyone wants to give him a, a shot at tequila. Maybe, I don't know, maybe Espolon, maybe maybe Kaya 23, maybe something really delicious I haven't even tried before, you know, in the tequila world. So, uh, all right, I got to hit a break here, team talk more about all the things when we come back stay with me let your voice be heard hello 88-90-3393
0: on the blaze radio network.
2: Sexton. Welcome back, team. Sponsor of this hour is Silencer Shop. The best place to go. SilencerShop.com. If you want to get a silencer for your firearm, there is absolutely no better way to go about it than silencershop.com. And I think that if you go there, you'll see the testimonials on the site. The customer service they have is excellent. Everything SilencerShop.com has to do to make the process for you as easy and straightforward as possible. They do. You can reach out to them. They've got a very helpful staff. Their selection is phenomenal. And once you get a silencer for your firearm, you're going to be like, why didn't I do this years ago? It makes the whole shooting experience much cooler, much more fun. And uh, I've been out there with silencers, and let me tell you, they're a great accessory to have. So really do check it out. SilencerShop.com. Again, that is SilencerShop.com Help make the world a quieter place. I to talk a little bit about some philosophical points here in a couple of minutes. You know, I, I'm in a bit of a contemplative mood these days as I'm getting closer to our... Uh, next week will be last week on the Blaze Radio for me. So I just want to share thoughts with you about a lot of stuff. And of course, at night, 6 to 9 Eastern, that's when I'll do the deep dives and the breakdowns, current events, politics, all the usual Freedom Hut fare. But 12 to 2, this is my, this is like, this is our time, guys. You know, team, this is when we just get to chill and talk about some things. Fireside chats, story time with Buck, however we want to put it. So we'll get into some more of that on the other side of the break. 888-900-3393 on the phone lines. If you're not already following me on Facebook, everybody, please, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton, and also BuckSexton.com. Keep an eye out for it. Bookmark it. Give me your email so I can put you on my uh, newsletter I'm going to be putting together in the weeks ahead. We've got a lot to talk about. be right back.
0: This is The Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network.
2: You know, team, I, I've read a couple of pieces recently uh, in different papers. I can't remember. What, I was trying to find them before. I can't remember what they are now. And they deal with uh, a couple of issues that uh, I think are important for us all to to keep in mind. And and there's really no surprises with them. I just find them um, I find them to be interesting. So let me start with. Um, the psychology of winning. And the psychology of winning, and this is based on some studies that they've done recently, and I saw this in the Wall Street Journal, I think it was, is that people who are, um, well, they do it with animals. They start with mice. And that when there's an altercation between mice of the roughly the same size, a mouse that wins, according to this study, this is not surprising, but interesting, is more likely when facing another mouse to win that encounter because confidence is something that builds. And confidence is something that the more you have of it, the more useful it can be to you in certain circumstances. And I just, I was reading this piece about it. I thought to myself, oh, this is true of so many things. I feel like it immediately expands into the sports realm, right? When someone all of a sudden in basketball, they have the hot hand and they're making shot after shot after shot in a way that just seems unreal almost to them too, because they just get into a mindset. And this really talks about a winning is, is a mindset, which is not now I know I sound like, what is it? Tony Robbins or one of those life coach guys winning is a mindset. But what the, what the piece also showed, though, is that bullying or that a bigger mouse even beating a smaller mouse in an encounter, sort of pushing it out of the way or whatever, uh, leads to increased confidence. That bullying, this is really sad, but it's true, bullying in the animal kingdom, at least. And you can imagine this transfers over into human beings. And this is why a lot of people who are insecure uh, tend to be involved in bullying. Uh, that bullying does boost your confidence, and bullying is a way to feel better about you. Now, of course, it's a terrible thing to do, but it's that that this there's a a a carnal uh, what is it lizard part of the, or the amygdala or the uh, is it the oh gosh I'm forgetting what's the part of the um, you know what's the part of the the fight or flight part of the of the brain? I'm, pardon me, I'm forgetting, but the you know instinctual. forget carnal is the wrong word (laughs) instinctual pardon me part of our brains uh, likes to bully uh, and likes to show dominance and that once you get into a mindset of showing dominance it it can be you know it it can build on itself and so this piece I thought was so interesting because it's about how uh, bullying those even those who are smaller and weaker not even just physically just in general can be very satisfying to the bully um, and we all, as a society now, I think, are, are very on guard, or at least we're trying to be on guard against bullying because it can be so damaging. And I've still to this day, when I think back to um, the way that kids would treat each other when I was in school uh, and, and how mean they were to each other sometimes, it's uh, the, the level of sadism that like 12 year olds can have and 10 year olds can have. To, especially when they get into groups. I mean, that's why Lord of the Flies is such a powerful piece of fiction because we all know, we've all experienced our own little version of either picking on piggy or being piggy, or maybe we've been on both sides of that. Uh, but now that they, they're they doing these studies with animals, it shows that there are benefits to bullying, uh, which of course is not a, a defense of bullying or any sort of justification for it. But... This is why it happens, because people that bully do feel better about themselves. People that bully do have more, do do have a rise in confidence, and that can even help them in dealing with other things in their lives. So you know, it's it's a reminder to me, and bullying is terrible, and I hate bullies. Uh, it's a reminder to me though that we're always struggling in our own way uh, against our biology. You know, civilization is in large part a struggle to. Uh, harness the, the good parts of our biology and suppress some of the uh, more, now carnal is the proper word, but more of the instinctual parts of our biology. And uh, the animal kingdom view of the world that, of course, some people very much like that view of the world and they they adopt it in their day-to-day lives. Uh, but it's not just, it, it doesn't, it, it's appealing is what I'm trying to say. It, 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 there, are, there are aspects of it that we always think, oh, bullies. Bullies are just you know they're just hurting themselves. Well, I mean they're being jerks, but no, they're actually getting a little psychological boost out of it. And I think that should we should keep that in mind as we see this play out over and over again, whether in our own lives or look. You see, you see bullying all the time. I, I'll I'll tell you this: a lot of what I think you see on TV is uh, on the in the TV news side of things is bullying. It's, yeah, we're adults and I understand it's not as bad as when you're kids and you don't have to be there, but we enjoy as a sport. Very rarely do you see this where you have two on television equally matched intellects in a real exchange of ideas. It happens, but that's the rarity across, particularly across the uh, cable news spectrum. What you usually have is one person who is clearly the alpha in the situation and is just going to annihilate, pummel, dress down, you know, destroy the other person. And what you see even more commonly than that is a lot of these hosts who I think uh, on different networks, a lot of them are pretty insecure themselves, they take the perspective of, well, I'm going to use a guest as the foil Meaning that they have somebody else that they'll bring in, and so if they can't get the job done themselves, it becomes a two-on-one situation, and I have to say, people enjoy watching this. Uh, I, I'm not imagining it. There are a lot of people that seem to really think that watching someone get bullied is uh, is enter- is entertaining, and, and, like, and it's that's different than kids bullying. And you know, I don't think anyone goes on TV, and then afterwards they're like crying themselves to sleep. Uh, although I'll, I'll, be, I'll tell you this, I've had some circumstances where it's always, it's never when I feel like somebody got the better of me because they were just more on their game. I don't know if that's ever even really happened, side note, but I would get angry when it was fixed, when the fight was fixed, because that that used to, used to happen to me over at CNN all the time. Uh, but you know that the Democrats in the audience, which is most of CNN's audience is full of Democrats, you know that they... Uh, want to see that there's almost like this bloodlust on tv to see somebody get even if the argument isn't being beaten they want to see them shouted down mistreated treated badly and i think that there is a uh, a sense of a vindication of ideas but more than that a sense of personal catharsis so when a conservative goes on tv and some of these uh, different networks you know not just CNN, there are others, MSNBC, when they have a conservative on and they have people that are clearly the, the host, and I've told you this before, all you need to know about who the host likes is who does the host interrupt, how often does the host interrupt, uh, how is the segment structured, do they do the old, let's go to the person I like with one question, and let's let's box out the, other, the, the counterpoint and give them another softball so that they've had two or three minutes, which is an eternity in most talk news segments, to build their case, to have the anchor nodding their head, you know, oh yeah, that's great, yeah, yeah, no, 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 but no, no, buck, buck, quiet, quiet, let, 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 let the, let the, the good smart person over here finish their Democrat talking points, and we'll get to you in a second right before we go to break, and I have to tell you that you're wrong before we go to break, um, but the audience likes this too, and I think it's because the same way that, you know, the the mouse that that pushes the smaller mouse out of the way gets a a jolt of of uh, good good brain chemicals out of that. This is this is reality now. I mean, they, they do the studies. I think the audience likes to see. They, they don't want you know they don't want to see their ideas challenged in a way where they would have to actually really think about it. That's that's not what you see most of the time on TV. What you see are people who want their ideas reflected on TV and winning. This is, by the way, the magic of like the Daily Show and the John Oliver show on the left. You know, oh, my name is John Oliver. I'm British. I'm going to lecture Americans on, what, what, you know, however they should talk about things. Uh, I just I don't get it at all with that guy. Um, but then again, I also saw that Trevor Noah, who is professionally unfunny, um, like it, it, it's like it's his job to be unfunny, uh, bought a $10 million penthouse. So explain that to me uh, you, uh, I, I want to be in a position one day Where I'm given a platform Where I don't have to prove anything Or build anything I just Somebody says You have this And we're going to pay you A ton of money for it And and I and I haven't earned it I mean this is never going to happen For me of course But it's what happened For Trevor Noah $10 million penthouse Wow I mean think about this it, to, to To buy Assuming that he paid cash for it And doesn't have a mortgage Which you know Who knows but to buy a 10 million dollar penthouse you got to make like 16 17 million bucks more or less. Uh, so wow. It's it's good to be it's it's good to be Trevor Noah. Uh well, where was I on this? Oh yeah, the, the magic of those shows of those talk shows they do where it's not that they're teaching people things or even making them laugh. It's that they create a closed circuit. They cle- they create a, an ecosystem where the left always wins no matter what the subject is because they either create a straw man argument on the right and then tear it apart which is amusing the left or even if the argument's not that strong that they can mount they just start mockery then it just becomes you know ha 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 clown clown joke joke and 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 mock making fun of the other side and usually it's a combination of both but the left always wins that's why people enjoy on the left enjoy watching that show so much so I think it's interesting that that the impulse to bully is reflected in a lot of what's around us, and people maybe don't bully themselves, but they kind of enjoy watching others bully. You know, they there are. This is a very real thing that I am addressing with all of you now, and I have to say I think it's uh, we should all be try to be as aware of it in our own lives as we can be, because I think it can lead to a dishonesty with ourselves about what we're watching, what we're seeing and, and also how ideas and views are being presented. So anyway, I'll try to find that wall street journal piece. I I wanted to have the guy on my night show, invite him on as a guest, but never really got around to it. Um, We never got him on thinking about doing that. By the way, if you have any suggestions for guests for Buck Saxton with America now, which you should all subscribe to on iTunes, please. And also, Go to Buck Saxton and uh, give me, uh, if you wouldn't mind, your email address so I can start building a list of uh, all of your names, So that, I, or not your names, but a list of your emails. It's because I want to create a, a newsletter for Team Buck. I'm not sure how often we'll be doing it, but I want to create a newsletter. And I, it would be funny, give me a chance to write for all you guys and keep in really close touch and keep up to date on all the things that matter to us. And you know, I've got all sorts of fun plans. So stay with me, team. Be right back. Let your
0: voice be heard. Hello. 888-900-3393. Action Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Buck Sexton Show.
2: Fascinating piece on uh, Reason.com, everybody, that I wanted to bring to your attention. It has to do with moral outrage, which if you're on social media at all, you're just constantly drowning in in moral outrage. and uh, Meaning it's around you all the time, I'm not saying you engage in it. But the psychologists studying this now, there's a a new research study uh, that says that moral outrage has a direct connection to people's uh, own feelings of guilt. So you feel guilty about your own beliefs or how you conduct yourself in your life and you compensate by public expressions of moral outrage. And so you denounce other things because you are uh, trying to find a way to feel better about other things that bother you in your own life. Let me give you... This is Elizabeth Nolan Brown's piece on Reason.com from last week. Outrage expressed on behalf of the victim of a perceived moral violation is often thought of as a pro-social emotion rooted in a desire to restore justice by fighting on behalf of the victimized. This is according to Bowdoin psychology professor Zachary Rothschild. Um, Yet this conventional construction, moral outrage as the purview of the especially righteous, is called into question by research on guilt. Here's what they have to say about that. Feelings of guilt are a direct threat to one's sense that they are a moral person, and, accordingly, research on guilt finds that this emotion elicits strategies aimed at alleviating guilt that do not always involve one's actions. Furthermore, research shows that individuals respond to reminders of their group's moral culpability with feelings of outrage at third-party harm-doing. These findings suggest that feelings of moral outrage, long thought to be grounded solely in concerns with maintaining justice, may sometimes reflect efforts to maintain a moral identity. Isn't that interesting? Who does that remind you of? Doesn't it kind of remind you of liberals? A lot of liberals you know. They have a lot of guilt about either climate change or white privilege. or And so they're freaking out all the time about this stuff and trying to compensate. Well, what do we find out? What do we know? What do we learn here? Oh, you mean guilt is a thing that people try to compensate for with this outrage uh this outrage machinery that they put into place for themselves twitter and facebook and everything else they feel insufficient for whatever reason and so what do they do they're always talking about how bad other people are doesn't that remind you of all the, i i was reading this i thought this is just so much the the liberal uh the liberal id here this is so important to uh to liberals and uh i think that they're really on to something with this study i really do so um We got uh, hour two coming up here in just a minute. 888 900 3393 on the phones. Uh, Please subscribe to Buck Sexton with America Now on iTunes. And uh, let's have a little more fireside chat coming up here in the next hour. Be right back.
0: The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. freedom across the nation. This is The Buck Sexton Show.
2: All right, Team Buck, welcome back to the Freedom Hut. Appreciate you being here with me. Uh, It's a lovely uh, Thursday. I hope you're enjoying yourself wherever you are. It seems to me that it would only be fair to point out that the rhetoric surrounding Trump and the opposition to the administration has just gotten completely insane. You know this, we've been talking about this, That that's nothing new. But even in an environment where we know that there are so many people who absolutely uh, hate this administration, it's worth pointing... Oh, and can I just step back actually for, for one second? I would like to point out, if we're going to talk about this, which I guess we are because I'm the guy who determines the content on the show, uh, I think it's also only fair to point out that the media now is trying to rehabilitate their treatment of George W. Bush. They act like they miss Bush, that Bush wasn't so bad, that Bush was okay, that everything... Meanwhile, I remember when Bush was treated like... I shouldn't just say treated like, was called a war criminal by people. I remember when there were those who were taking the position that George Bush was a monster. Uh, And that, I think, should be something that we keep in mind here as they now pretend, as they now play this game, where they are able to act like they weren't being such complete and utter lunatics back in the day. I mean, here's... You know, this is this is on The Ellen Show. And here's what they're saying about uh, here's and and more relaxing. But um, I have to ask you what you think of what's going on now. Well, I think
1: uh, this isn't the first time our nation's ever been divided. Um, I remember what it was like when I got out of college. There was a Vietnam War and a draft. There were major race riots. There was political assassinations. The president was nearly impeached. And a lot of people thought the country was going down the tubes, and it turns out we're too strong to go down the tubes. And uh, so I'm very optimistic.
2: So, so as you can hear, the, you know, the crowd is clapping for him, and they're all, oh, Bush is Bush is so cuddly and nice and good, and he's been non-political since he finished uh, finished in office. And then we, uh, Ellen uh, continues with this interview. I want to play a little more for you.
1: And it criticizes successors, mm-hmm. and uh, and so I. am. Uh... They're
2: clapping. They're
1: clapping. I'm happy to be off the stage, yeah. Except
2: this one, yeah. Thanks, thanks for being on this stage. So uh, this is this is a concern though for me. I'll bring it up, and this is not political. This is really- here it comes. I love that. This is not political. This is where we get to act like being terrified of a Trump presidency isn't isn't political here.
1: Really, something that I think is important. Um, obviously, the the media
2: was not you know great to you. They're not great to most presidents. The media is yeah, tough. You
1: expect them to be tough. But
2: Trump is raging an outright just a war against
1: all press and not allowing press mm-hmm. to to do their job, which I think is a very dangerous thing. Well, here, okay,
2: okay, the- okay, 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 okay. Cut cut, uh, cut, 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 cut. How is Trump not li- not allowing the press to do their jobs? Is it the Trump administration that has come out with plans to curtail the First Amendment because the Obama administration did that? The Obama administration was pushing for the right to ban books before an election under Citizens United. The Obama administration was wiretapping the phones of journalists as part of their hunt for leaks. But that doesn't matter if you're a journalist now your sources all of a sudden are compromised the government knows about them so but how is he lets that that comment is just allowed to go first she says it's not political and i don't think that uh ellen is someone who's all all that actually i I shouldn't speak about i don't know i was going to say she doesn't strike me as somebody who's politically disingenuous although i don't know i don't know her work at all so i shouldn't say anything about it but there she's saying it's not political it clearly is political and then you get Bush sitting there. Look, he's trying... I understand. Bush is a shadow of the guy he was when he took the office. I think that's worth noting. Uh, Bush, when he took office, was a really, you know, kind of a swaggering, confident guy. He was actually in, in very good shape, too. Not to bring up something that's a non sequitur, but I remember there, the uh, pieces about how he was... You know, he was like a guy who was running six-minute miles and w- w- was a really a vibrant, vibrant guy. And by the end of his presidency, and I, I remember talking to him at the, towards the end of his presidency, he was a shadow of his former self. I mean, he just looked, he had aged tremendously. Yeah, eight years, I understand. That's a long time. But he had aged tremendously psychologically as well as physically. And he just looked kind of shrunken down. And But now, now they're acting like they like Bush, that he's not so bad, that it wasn't such a big deal, that he's fine, you know, there's no... No problem here, and we miss him, and he's great. Anyway, he doesn't want to get into it with her, I understand, but she says something like not allowing the press to do their jobs. If you're going to say that, you should have to offer some evidence for that. But now they pretend that Bush wasn't a war criminal. He didn't lie. You know, Bush lied, babies died. That all goes away, and it continues. And they like him even more because he makes very innocuous statements like this.
1: That's what I believed when I was president, post-president. The nation needs a free and independent press. And the reason why is, is that power can be very corrupting. And we need a press corps to hold politicians to account, including me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I didn't like it sometimes when people said things that, you know, uh, about me, but you know, that's the job. I always viewed the, rela- I'm gonna drop a big word on you. Uh, symbiotic relationship. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Four syllables. Yeah.
2: Look, it's 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 a light interview, and I get that, and I don't want to be the guy who's running around uh, yelling all the time. But how, you know, everything has to be everything has to be taken super seriously. But you got a former president here sitting down with a woman who has a talk show that is nationally syndicated and and seen by millions of people, and there's a rewriting of history that's going on here in a sense. Not not just from her. This is a more general perception. And that is that they didn't hate Bush almost as much as they hate Trump. The truth is they did. And the truth is that they referred to Bush as a war criminal and a hateful and evil and bigoted person regularly. And and, and one of the most unfair and um, most unfounded criticisms of all, I mean, you could all of these are unfounded. I don't think any of the stuff that's been said about Bush that's truly terrible has any basis in reality. There are some... Lighter criticisms that I make. He wasn't that conservative. He's not a scholar. He's not a particularly intellectual guy. He's not a dumb guy, though. That's that was. A, other than that, was another thing they always said he was so stupid. Oh, Bush is so dumb. That's not true. And it was really to the media's discredit that they would run around with that uh, that notion and and build it up all the time that Bush is so dumb. He, I can I can tell you, having had uh, multiple in depth policy conversations with the president while he was the president. He is not dumb. Uh, and they created this whole story about how he was just a buffoon and such an imbecile anyway. Um, so, but he's not an intellectual either, though. I'm not going to pretend that he is. I think that he made some very, uh, very real mistakes. Of course, he made mistakes in his presidency. It would be bizarre in a sense if he didn't. Right. I mean, you try not to. But of course, he made mistakes. He's not a bad guy. He's not a bad person. Look, I'd even say to you, I don't think Barack Obama is a bad person. I just think he has a lot of bad ideas, and I, I think that he has some character flaws that are really problematic that go beyond just his job. Um, but I don't think he's a, I don't think he's an evil person. Uh, I just think he's really wrong, and I don't think that the the left was not willing to give Bush that even that level of. Benefit of the doubt until now. And now, of course, they're telling us that, well, Bush, when he says this about how a free press is important, it's implicit criticism of the administration. And I just kind of want to say, well, not really. And why do we have to all of a sudden hear from Bush now? I mean, when he's useful to the left. I mean, they hated Bush, they absolutely hated him, and they tried to ruin his reputation they wanted to throw his vice president in prison, Cheney. We talked about that recently. Uh, That was that was really the plan for the left. It wasn't to just win the election and Barack Obama come into office. They wanted they wanted people thrown in prison. Uh, They said that Bush was a war criminal. And that's not a term that should be thrown around lightly. But the historical amnesia that the press is actively capable of inducing in itself. So it's intentional, right? It's they're, they have willful blindness when they pretend not to see things, and they have willful amnesia when they pretend not to remember things. Uh, their treatment of Bush was absolutely, absolutely despicable, absolutely terrible. But I wanted to just put that into into context because then you, you see that this story that's out there, or, or this uh, notion that's out there, and pretty widespread one at that, that somehow um, it's okay to make Hitler comparisons. To uh, by the way, there were. Bush as Hitler signs at leftist protests under the Bush presidency. That was a real thing that was going on. That's not something that we've just conjured up, but to have newspapers explicitly drawing comparisons between the tactics of Adolf Hitler and the moves that this Trump administration is making. It's a scandal that they do this. It really is. It's, it's a complete and utter outrage and yet they do it. They do it. Um, and I have the Washington Post here in front of me. Adolf Hitler. This is the headline. This is Washington Post news analysis. And this is the this is the headline. Adolf Hitler also published a list of uh, a list of crimes committed by groups he didn't like. Um, and they go into this. That uh, they go into. Let me give you a little bit of this. Trump celebrated the creation of the victims of Immigration Crime Engagement Office, or VOICE. It will, among, this is in reference to that speech he gave, the joint session of Congress last week. It will, among other things, put out a regular report on the illicit doings of the undocumented. I have ordered the Department of Homeland Security to create an office to serve American victims. We are providing a voice to those who have been ignored by our media and silenced by special interests. Um, uh, they go on, and then they, they talk about this, and Okay. Below, just two paragraphs. This strategy, one designed to single out a particular group of people, suggesting that there's something particularly sinister about they behave, was employed to great effect by Adolf Hitler and his allies. In the 1930s, the Nazis used a similar tactic to stir up anger and hatred toward Jews. Professor Richard, uh, Professor Richard Weikart of, of Cal State explained that Nazi leaders... Use different kind of communication tools to sell the message that Jews are criminal by disposition, as a 1943 Nazi director of the German press put it. Quote, the Jews are not a nation like other nations, but bearers of hereditary criminality, the order said. Germany, in other words, was out of control, and only Nazi anti-Semitic policies could, quote, restore order. Okay, that's all from this Washington Post piece. Let's talk about this for a minute, shall we? First of all, uh, it goes without saying that to compare... uh, Donald Trump to a regime that uh, murdered 11 million people in the Holocaust, 6 million of them Jews. Uh, That is the total number of dead in the Holocaust, by the way, 11 million in the Holocaust, including almost 2 million Catholic Poles, a million gypsies, 6 million Jews. Uh, To compare the Trump administration in any way to that is, uh, is really degrading to the notion of analysis—I mean, it, it's a, a slander. It's a slur. It's completely unhinged, uh, and that this is becoming normalized—to borrow a word from the left—should be troubling to all of us because it also demeans the atrocities committed by the Nazi regime. Because Trump has Trump has committed zero atrocities. Zero. Um, he has done nothing uh, to. Uh, he has done nothing to to anything in, in in the stratosphere of what Hitler did. And that's just any normal rational person can come to that conclusion. Okay. That's just objective fact. All right. But I also think this is interesting because this, this little game that's being played here in the Washington post of, well, the Nazis did this. Now think about how you could extend this. You know, I love dogs. I, I on the weekends, I love to go past, by the way, uh, there's a law in New York City uh, on the books, and it's been challenged recently in federal court. And the federal court declined to overturn the New York City law. It's very strict about uh, where pet stores in the city can get the dogs from. There have to be inspections. There have to they have to pass uh, humane standards. So I'm just I'm I'm going to adopt everybody. We don't have to start telling me angry emails. The plan is to adopt a, a dog, but I just want to say that if I pass through pass by a pet store. And they're in the window, you know, I might like say hi for a minute. And those dogs, people always say they come from puppy mills. Well, at least according to New York City law, that's pretty hard to pull off now. Um, Anyway, maybe I need to, I'll look more into how accurate or how effective that law is. But in the meantime, um, back to the story here. The point is, I love dogs. Hitler loved dogs. Would it be a fair comparison for the Washington Post to write a story? Uh, like Hitler, Buck Sexton is, was, is quite fond of canines. No, that would be a, a, a preposterous, stupid, dishonest, disingenuous thing to do. But the media here is saying, well, by publishing crimes committed by illegal immigrants, there's, first of all, an inherently racist angle to this. Uh, isn't it interesting? The media, I suppose, is assuming that illegal immigrants are all what? Latino? Mexican? Central American? American? There are illegal immigrants in this country from all over the world. So, what what does what are, what are they telling us here? There's a racial angle to this. How is there a racial angle when there are illegal immigrants from all? It's like when people say that criticism of Islam is is racism. Well, no, that's an idiotic statement. But so it's not racial because there it, it's about crimes committed by illegal immigrants, and there are people now. You could say, oh, but Buck, there are a lot of Latino. I think half of the illegal population in this country is Mexican. Okay, but half is not, and there's a lot of other people represented in there, and they would be covered under this publication, and keep in mind what what the objection is here. They're objecting to the sharing of facts that directly affect public safety. They have a problem with that. Don't we have a right to know, as we're making policy about illegal immigrants, don't we have a right to know? By comparing it to the anti-Semitism of Nazi Germany, it's... There's a part of me that almost just wants to scream and punch a wall because this is so dumb, but this is the Washington Post, everybody. This is being mainstreamed. By comparing it to what was done in Nazi Germany, uh, they don't stop for a minute to say, oh, hold on a second, the anti-Semitic cartoons and the anti-Semitic propaganda that Nazi Germany was using uh, was explicitly racist and also was all lies. (laughs) So maybe you want to start there. Publishing a list of crimes that are not actually crimes committed by people is very different from publishing a list of crimes committed by a group that has nothing to do with their race, gender, ethnicity, and that is actual crimes in the case of illegal immigrants. So one is all falsehoods and one is reality. That's another distinction that any intelligent human being would make here. If we're going to compare the tactics of Trump and Nazi Germany, which I, I... and you might be saying, Buck, why are you even wasting your time with this? People are doing this. The Washington Post is doing this. Other major news news publications are that they're. This has become a talking point on the left that Trump is borrowing from the Hitler playbook. That's what they're saying. It's a. It's a just a disgrace. Um, all right, I'm not. I'm not done, but I got to go into a break here, and we'll finish this up. Uh, not even probably in the next break, but on the flip side of that one. So stay with me, team. Be right back.
0: Buck Sexton, the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Welcome back, team. So I was talking to you about the way that they compare Trump's tactics on public awareness about illegal immigrant crime and Nazi Germany, and I, of course, find this to be horrifically uh, nasty, dishonest, and just the worst kind of journalism you can imagine, or journalism and analysis you can imagine. One more point I wanted to make on this, and then we can move on to another subject, and that is this whole situation of looking at a group and publishing crimes committed by the group we need to tell the fbi somebody needs to write to the washington post that the fbi is taking nazi germany's tactics here because the fbi publishes crimes based by ethnic category that's fbi data you can see how many murders committed by african americans how many murders committed by whites how many murders committed by and you go down the list so the fbi is and has been for a long time now taking Nazi Germany's playbook on demonizing groups and using them, I suppose. Now, I know you're saying, well, Buck, that's preposterous. Exactly. It's completely and utterly preposterous. The left is preposterous. This is gross misconduct on their part, writing this kind of crap in The Washington Post. All right, we'll take a break here. Back on
0: the flip side. Stay with me. This is The Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network.
2: Rock Sexton. Hey team, so I wanted to uh, take a little little time this afternoon. I know yesterday I was just, just like I was hanging out with you, it wasn't really a standard radio show, we just, I was just talking to you, um, and I've been doing a lot more of that during the noon show. It's less of a, a, a um, planned out and standard radio broadcast, and it's more of, uh, I'm just talking to my friends, and that's, that's what it's turned into, and, and that's in part because uh, five hours a day of radio thats uh, that, that you've already set out in your head beforehand, and, and you're going to do the whole presentation radio style. I mean, well, hey, oh, hey, what's not Hey, Buck Sexton. It, one, it just is too much. The energy and the, uh, the strain on the voice, is, it's just too much. No one does five hours of solo talk radio a day. Um, I've been doing it now for a month. Uh, no one does this. So (laughs) you'll have to excuse me for, uh, taking a a more mellow. I think some of, some of you have told me you actually like, it's like, you're just hanging out with me in my apartment or, I mean, that sounded creepy. You know what I mean? Some of you, it's like, you're hanging out with me, you know, just hanging out. Okay. (laughs) We're in a public place drinking coffee or something. Um, but anyway, so, uh, I wanted to share some thoughts about the uh, early days of of radio um, and how I got in, because I told you about TV yesterday and the early days of radio. So I went to uh, Restoring Love, which was a huge event at Dallas Cowboy Stadium in, well, obviously in Dallas. And uh, Glenn and the whole Blaze crew put this on, and I was down there, and it was one of the first times that I had ever had the experience of people who knew my work and would see me and were like hey I know your work from the thing that you do on TV or whatever and that was cool I, I'd never had that before and it was kind of fun I just didn't really occur to me I, I always uh, it always feels like for me and me, whether it's radio or TV at least in the early days you feel like you're doing it for whoever's especially on TV when you're in a panel you're, you're doing it for whoever's around you and sometimes I would even forget that this was that it was being televised um Radio less so because you know that the the mic is a portal to your audience and your audience is comprised of friends. And the best advice I was ever given on radio for earlier on was that this is really just a one-to-one conversation with somebody that you want to talk to, you respect and you care about and you enjoy talking to. That's what radio is. Best advice I think I've ever gotten on the radio side. Uh, so well, I went down to restoring love and I, uh, they didn't really, I'm going to tell you this. I don't think I've ever told you this before. There's, there's fun things will come to me now that you all know that, uh, next week is my last week. So, um, anyway, uh, they didn't really think of me as somebody who anybody was going to want to talk to from the blaze initially. Uh, there were other people and, uh, I will not name any names but uh, there are other people who were under the impression that they would be a draw uh, and they were I mean obviously Glenn was the draw but then there are other people Pats do that everybody also in that world really wanted to see. There were some other people who have since departed the blaze. They're no longer with the blaze. Uh, one or two of them in particular who were under the impression that there would be like a line of people wanting autographs. And we had this whole setup where we were in this uh, bus and I was just there and I I was doing uh, some stories for the blaze.com, I think, or I forget. I was just researching, trying to help out. And I was sitting in the back of this, (laughs) I was sitting in the back of this bus, this big campus coach bus. And there were people setting up outside for this meet and greet, uh, this meet and greet with a couple of blaze.com, exclusive personalities, I'll put it that way, Uh, people that used to write for The Blaze, and they thought that they would be a big draw, and I was just some guy. And uh, I... um, You know what? I'll I'll even tell you something. I I had... uh, When the initial press release went out for The Blaze... uh, I'm sorry, for Real News. When the initial press release went out, a former uh, dot com writer who will uh, remain unnamed. because Again, I'm not, I'm not, I do not do the talking, uh, uh, I mean, as you already know, everybody at the Blaze right now, I, I have nothing but good things to say about, and I'm tremendously grateful to Glenn, Pat Stu, the whole team, everybody down in Dallas for uh, launching my career. But some of the former Blaze employees, uh, less so launched and in some points I think made things more difficult for me than they had to be. And uh, one of them uh, in particular, again, I, I'm not naming names when the initial press release went out about real news, it included my name because I was cast on the show on the blaze TV. And this was a press release that was sent out to trade publications, uh, TV news or that, you know, which if you're not in the business, you don't necessarily know about but people who are in the business read it. And I remember, uh, seeing the website version of the press release, and I was excised from it. My name was taken out of it. And when I approached this .dot com writer who had tried out for the show, and said, uh, "Hey, um, I'm just wondering. I've seen, this. Is I have the press release in my hand as a printout. Uh, why am I not in the .dot com version of the press release? You know, it's supposed to just be the same thing. It's a press release. It's a, it's a formalized document that goes out to everybody." And uh, he said, I only thought we should include the famous people. Um, So for those of you who think that any of this has been preordained or predestined or easy or anything like that, let me tell you. I could tell you many more stories, not necessarily at The Blaze, but just in general in this business, quite similar to that one. Oh, so I'm on the show, but we're going to pretend I'm not because I'm not one of the, quote, famous people on the show. Okay. Uh, I just had to let that one go. But I remember being down at restoring love and the they set up this little place for people to, to sit down and and uh, well, the, the the personalities were sitting down to sign autographs, meet and greet. And I was hovering in the back and I was I was legitimately handing out water to other blaze people and you know, I was like the water boy. you know, I'm just sort of down there. I mean, yeah, I'd been on real news for a little while at this point, but I, I didn't consider. And I, I, mean, I still don't consider myself, quote, talent because I just like what I do and, and all the rest of it is kind of whatever to me. But I and I was and people started sort of pointing at me, you know, Blaze fans, Blaze family our Blaze extended family started pointing at me to like, hey, it's Buck. And sure enough, people came over to talk to me and it became an issue because a couple of the people that were at the booth that were supposed to be. Being talked to, or not being talked to, and everyone's coming over to talk to me. And I was not trying to uh, set this up this way. Of course, in retrospect, it sounds like I was the guy who was hovering around the background, like, hey, look at me. But I really wasn't. I mean, this was the first time I'd ever had this experience at all of people knowing me from my work that I didn't know, that I hadn't met before. And so that was, that was fun. Uh, That was nice. And that was the big, oh, but I was down restoring. That was before I'd ever done radio. And I said to Dom Theodore, who's the radio program director of The Blaze, you know, I'd love to do radio. And he said, um, Well, you know, you, you've you never done radio. Why do you, what do you want to think you, what makes you think you want to do radio? And I was just like, I just, I'll be good at it. I just know that this is what I want to do. I had never done it before. And I was telling somebody who was uh, a big part of Glenn's meteoric rise on radio uh, that I would be good at this. So there was a little bit of uh, chutzpah, but you need that in this business. Uh, there was a little bit of, uh, let's just say confidence, not overconfidence. So uh, that, was, that was when I, and I started doing these, I started sneaking in to do these monologues, and not sneaking in, but going into the radio studio when no one else was using it, which wasn't, which meant that I was showing up to do radio monologues that nobody would hear except for Dom at 7.30 in the morning, at you know, 4.30 in the afternoon, whenever, I mean, whenever there was nobody else there, I would go into the studio because I wanted it to sound good, I needed recording equipment. And I would do these monologues. What they didn't tell me at the time was that a couple of the Blaze higher-ups heard a few of my first 10-minute monologues, and no one told me this until later on. They were uh, very enthusiastic about the prospects for me on radio, but it was good that they didn't tell me because I was just, you know, just wanted so badly to do this, and it was just a matter of focus for me. Um, But the other part of this that I wanted to tell you is after we had the Saturday show going for a while, and... Uh, as I, I think I've told all of you before, in the early days of that show, I was really struggling with uh, what hadn't even been diagnosed, or had just recently been diagnosed, I think maybe a month before, with celiac disease. And the three months previous to that, I just, it was, it was rough. Um, it was like having, uh, every few days, it would, it would sort of mimic food poisoning, was what would happen. Or really every other day, or sometimes it felt like every day. And that really drains you, literally and figuratively. You are in a very bad place. Uh, so, and they kept thinking that it was a, a a bacterial infection. They couldn't figure out, and it turned out they ran a celiac test, and then they ran another one, and then ran well two or at least two or three, and they all were very they were all very positive, including those gold standard test that involves them doing a an invasive procedure in your GI tract to really make sure. Sure enough, yep, celiac disease. Stopped eating gluten and everything got better. But in the early days of that show, I've told you this, and I just to give you an idea of how much I love doing radio and how much it meant to me in the beginning. Uh, I was uh, there was a I had had a talk with my family about the possibility with my mom about uh, wearing an uh, adult diaper while I did the show because it was so I was so sick during that three-hour broadcast and I had to get up so often to go to the bathroom. So that. Um, that was tough to start out, but uh, the team, uh, all of you, and the more I got to interact with you and <clears throat> uh, feel this bond that you really grow with the radio audience, it just they, there was nothing that was going to keep me out of there on Saturday. Uh, I wasn't contracted to do the show on Saturday. I was not paid to do the show on Saturday. Think about that. I don't know if I ever told you guys that. I wasn't paid a dime to do that show. I did that show for free. I worked for 15 months. With some holidays off, sure, but no real vacation, 15 months, six days a week to get to the 5 day a week show, so over a year of doing Saturday shows, um, but the a real turning point uh, for me and also for the people in this business that uh, learned about me and, and what I was trying to do came at Man in the Moon, and some of you listening were probably there, so this I hope has a special resonance for you. We were doing, uh, it came up last minute. I was just going down there to be supportive and meet Blaze Blaze fans, Blaze readers, Blaze viewers, listeners, uh, be around the Blaze people. I, it, it was just, I wanted to go. I went on the weekend. It was a weekend event. And they just thought about this at the last minute. They figured, they said, well, you know, why don't you just do your show from down there instead of having a pre-taped show or having a fill-in. So I said, sure. There was this area that was a looked like a almost a trade show, but it was booths of different sponsors for the Blaze and all the rest of it. And I said, all right, I'll I'll do my show from from there, sure. So we set up, and on Saturday morning, I remember a couple of Blaze employees, uh, my fellow Blazers, I woke up in the morning, and you know the show uh, show was twelve to three, and I was going down there maybe around eleven a.m. And they said, "Buck, you got you got to come quickly. You got to you got to you got to come. You don't you are not going to believe this. There are people who are waiting for your show." And I was like, "Wait, waiting for my radio show? What do you mean?" And I came into this big area, this convention area, where all this different Blaze stuff had been set up, and I just had a little folding table with some radio gear on it and set up to do radio. And sure enough, there a lot of them seated Indian style. Uh, or is that a microaggression? I don't know what you call it. Cro- cross-legged, sorry, on the floor. Um, a lot of them were uh, wearing Combi Bear T-shirts. Team Bach was was there, and they were sitting there waiting for me to come and do the show. And I have to say, it was uh, it was one of the most you know forget it. I mean, yeah, the filling in for Rush was awesome, and the first time I did Fox, and I've told you about some of these other important events along the way. That was one of the coolest moments I've had in the now almost six years of doing this. It'll be six years in a couple of months. That was awesome. Um, that people were wearing Commie Bear t-shirts, were waiting there to hang out with me. And for those of you who were there, I just want to let you know, that was really noticed, not just by me in a way that was really moving and, and I, it mattered to me a lot. Uh, it was noticed by the Blaze, uh, the Blaze bosses, executives, And some other people, including people that have been essential and instrumental in my career up to this day, especially on radio. Because of you, those of you who have listened to me all this time, and those of you who were at Man in the Moon wearing Commie Bear t-shirts, waiting to hang out with me, uh, that's why this is all happening for me now. So I owe you, I really do owe you all a debt of gratitude, and I am incredibly thankful Uh, For each one of you who listens to my show and for those of you who were there that day at Man in the Moon, that was awesome. It was awesome to me and a lot of other people who saw that were like, this show is something special, isn't it? All right, team. I'm going to hit a break. We'll be right back.
0: Buck Sexton, the Blaze Radio Network.
2: Next day, the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back, team. I uh, obviously went long there before, but I, I really wanted to – I think I've told some of you that story. I've told that story on air before, but uh, I want to share it again. Uh, i That was the uh, – in a lot of ways, Man in the Moon that day and the team buck, uh, Team Buck folks who were there that day and those supporting me all this time as well, of course – Uh, That's what's launched me now into national syndication and hopefully very big things in the future. I'm going to try. I'm going to give it all I've got, team. So as long as you are with me by my side, we'll be good to go. Until tomorrow, Shields High.
0: Sexton show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.